Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget Bay. My guest today is Charlie Baggin, who played basketball at Princeton University from 2017 to 2022. During a gap year in 2021, Charlie cycled across the country from coast to coast, along with another athlete, Maddie Plank, raising money for mental health. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to talk. I'm excited to have you. And in because I'm having you on, I decided to do a Peloton ride this morning before work, and I am still feeling it. So I am very excited to learn how you did this for several months. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't biked very much since, so I would be feeling that Peloton ride as well. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. So you're about to graduate. I really appreciate you taking the time. Only a couple weeks left for you. Yeah, I know. I mentioned to you earlier, I just have one final assignment to complete, and then that's it. Everything's in, and two weeks to go until I graduate. Nice. Nice. This is a time where a lot of parties are going on, a lot of excitement. I miss that time. (laughs) Yeah, a lot, like all good vibes on campus, I'd say, right now. And uh, (laughs) a a lot of beach trips coming up, like post finals pre-graduation i'll be in stone harbor next weekend actually right by oh, the I, oh yeah love that town it'll be my first time i've been i'm going to a wedding there but uh you know the wildwood area cape may very pretty yeah it's beautiful there i had some really good ice cream in stone harbor at some point i mean ice cream at the jersey shore is great anywhere that's that's a good point you can find <laughs> one in every town Absolutely. So, Charlie, you're about to graduate. You played your four years. Um, Obviously, though, there was that COVID year. Unfortunately, the NCAA ruled against the Ivy Leaguers. I'm very opposed to that ruling. I'm really upset for you guys. But had it gone through, did you plan on playing a fifth year elsewhere? Um, Let's see. I don't actually know for myself whether it would have applied to me because I took the year off from school. So I'm really, I'm not sure. I think regardless, oh. I would not have played elsewhere just because, um, A, I didn't play much here. Uh, if you look at my stats, there, there aren't very many of them. I didn't get in much. So I don't think I would have had too much opportunity. Um, but I, am, I, I was very disappointed for some of my friends uh, and former teammates who were unable to play their fifth year. It would have been awesome for them, and they really deserved it. But it is what it is. Yeah, I'm just very against it because then the NCAA is allowing kids to transfer for three or four times to different schools where, you know, a lot of you guys went to school, got your degree, and are just looking to, to use that extra year. It's a bummer. I know. I think it's a pretty helpless feeling for a lot of people, you know, because it's just like so far out of any individual's control. It really sucks. Yeah, and I bet if you polled the Ivy League, a lot of the kids probably wanted to play in 2021. Oh, definitely. I, I know that was part of the reason I took the year off was because it was a possibility that we wouldn't play. But for the guys that stayed in and took that chance, they, they really wanted to play. And it seemed like there was a way to do it. And it really hurt to watch everyone else on TV playing when we weren't. Um, so yeah, it was a tough year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was absolutely a way to do it. You just do the no fans and all that. But yeah, such a bummer. Such a bummer. Anyway. Coach always says, though, uh, that was a really important year because the guys that were on campus got a lot of really good work in, uh, really helped to kind of like set the tone for us returners coming back and the freshmen coming back this year. 
So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it worked out for us. Uh, we did end up with an Ivy League championship, which was pretty cool. True, true. Yeah, we will get into that. You guys had a phenomenal year. But let's take it back to the beginning for you, Charlie. You grew up in Glen Ridge, New Jersey. Any siblings for you? I have three younger siblings, yes. Oh, you're the oldest. A lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility. They're, they're right behind me, though. Uh, twins two years behind me and a younger sister three years behind me. So we were all, like, very close, very competitive with each other. They pushed me as much as I led them. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so younger sister and the twins, are they boys or girls? Boy, girl. Oh, okay, fun, fun. Are they athletes as well? Yeah, so my brother plays lacrosse at Vassar. He's a goalie. He's insane just for being a goalie. I don't know how anyone would do that. And then my youngest sister runs at Hamilton. Oh, wow, okay. A lot of athletes in the family. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I recently learned that goalies in lacrosse do not have pads because a lot of games that I've, I've watched, they'll be wearing sweatpants. So I just assumed there were shin guards on under there. And then I was very mistaken when I saw a guy just wearing shorts and nothing there. I know. I know. It's insane. And my brother always has huge bruises all over his body. And it's like they choose to do that. I don't get it. It's got to hurt so much. I don't know why they don't let them wear at least shin guards or knee pads. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. It's a question. <laughs> But God bless him. Do you ever get to do, like, practice for him? Like, hey, I'll take a few shots on you and just nail him? <laughs> I, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I did. And I think I was told I was so bad that he couldn't even read where I was shooting. So it was extra dangerous for him. <laughs> so he quickly found other partners. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so yeah. lacrosse doesn't seem like you uh, was in your future. But how did you get into basketball? Um, well, so I tried a ton of sports growing up. I played them all and basketball always was kind of my favorite. My dad loves basketball. So I inherited that from him a little bit. Um, and it was, you know what, it was also the one I was best at. And when you're young or at any point in your life, it's just, you like to do what you're good at. And so I naturally gravitated towards basketball and it quickly just became my love and my only sport from probably eighth grade on. Okay. Did you play AAU as well? Yeah, I played AAU for a couple teams across North Jersey. Um, Hoop Heaven with Morgan Cena, who's an awesome coach in the area, was where I started. And then I branched out to uh, Ring City, with, uh, which is Ron Harper's team. So I played with Ron Harper, who went to Rutgers, and, and a bunch of my other high school teammates. So that was awesome, too. Oh, that must have been a really good team. Yeah, we were pretty good. We were like on the, the Nike, like, B-tier circuit. And so we would play all of, like, the EYBL teams. And, you know, we pulled off, like, a bunch of upsets. And it was always the greatest feeling to beat the sponsors, like, the real teams. And so that we could play with them. It was so much fun. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So when high school comes around, you attend Powerhouse Don Bosco Prep. That's quite the commute from Glen Ridge, though. Yeah, 30 minutes each way. God bless my mom. She, she would drive us every morning until I got my license uh, my junior year. Okay. And did your brother go there as well? Yeah, yeah. So he was two years behind me. So when I became a junior and could drive, I drove him. But yeah, he came with me. Nice. Okay. Did your sisters go to IHA? They went to AHA, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. Nice. A little, a little further, but it was where my mom and my aunt went. So they had to go there. Oh, yeah, you have to. <laughs> well, yeah. my dad went to St. Joe's in Montvale. Oh, no. Ugh. What? It, 
Hate What's to hear wrong it. with that? He's so old by now. <laughs> yeah, it's just ingrained to react that way to Bergen and Joe. <laughs> fine, fine. I'll give it to you. Most important okay. question I'm going to ask you, Charlie, this whole podcast, literally mm-hmm. the best pizza place in New Jersey is right next to Don Bosco. <laughs> Have you been to Kinchley's? Is there, I mean, wouldn't you be shocked if I said no? Of course I've been to Kinchley's. I would hang up if you said no. It would be a tragedy. Yeah. You know what? I might agree with you. That is some of the best pizza I've ever had. Absolutely. It's the be- if you like thin crust, it's the best thin crust in New Jersey. I've heard that there's a good place down the shore, Pete and Elda's. I don't even know if it's mm. still open. I've never been. But uh, some people have said that that's really good. But as far as thin crust from what I've had, it's definitely Kinchley's and it's not close. I, I agree. So I've never heard of the one down the shore. There's Conti's here in Princeton, which is thin crust, similar kind of bar pizza. It doesn't live up to even half of what Kinchley's is. So... Kinsley's definitely has my, my stamp of approval. I agree. I've also had Conti's. I, I told you off air, my brother yeah. lives down in that Princeton area, and we've had it for, like, special occasions when I'm down there. And, yeah, it's good, but not Kinsley's. Not the same. Not the same at all. So, yeah, Kinsley's was our spot after big wins. We would go. Nice, nice. They have to expand. I mean, there's nowhere to expand, but it's so small in there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of part of the charm, but more seating would be optimal. <laughs> Definitely. And on Valentine's Day, you can get a heart-shaped pizza. I don't know if you've ever done that. Oh, no, I haven't. I didn't know that was an option. Oh, yeah. Well, next Valentine's Day. Even if it's just you, get one for yourself. That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> so you have a great career at Don Bosco. Like I said, they're a powerhouse in so many sports. You win a state title. Did you also win counties in your four years? Uh, yes, my senior year we won counties. That's so exciting. I feel like, at least when I was in school, the counties, winning counties was almost more important than winning states, at least in Bergen County. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of my teammates here at Princeton, like they, they, don't, they don't even have counties, first of all, some of them, and they don't really get it. But yeah, Bergen, winning Bergen County was a, a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And like the state, it's very important, but I feel like after you lose the state, it wasn't that, I don't know, it didn't hurt as much as losing counties. Yeah, I, you know, that might have something to do with expectations. Um, like, definitely my freshman and sophomore year when we lost in the state, I think it was kind of like, eh, it happens. But counties was kind of a more palpable pain because those are your rivals, especially when you're, you know, typically when you lose, it's to Bergen or Joe's. So that probably plays a factor. Very true. Yeah, I know based on your reaction, you hate St. Joe's, but can you talk about the Bergen-Bosco rivalry? Because that is probably the best rival, one of the best rivalries, at least in New Jersey. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I hate Bergen way more. And for my money, it's definitely the the biggest rivalry in New Jersey. Um, I don't know. It's It's one of those things that it's like it's fun to buy into when you get to Bosco. And eventually you're just brainwashed over four years that, you know, you can't. You can't have anything to do with Bergen. Uh, but it's just, it, you know, it's fun to be a part of such a competitive rivalry where, like, you know the other team is going to bring their A game every time you play. And no matter, like, what the records are, it literally doesn't matter. It's just so much fun to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, the gyms, no matter if you're playing at Bosco or at Bergen, they're relatively both pretty small gyms, and they are packed when you guys are playing each other. It's crazy. Oh, just the greatest atmosphere, right? Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's like almost like Duke's atmosphere, right? Small court, everyone's on top of each other. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, just like Duke. We actually played at Duke my sophomore year, and that was yeah, you hit a that three. might have been. I did. Yeah, you've done your research. I have. I did hit a three. Probably <laughs> my shining shining moment at Princeton. Hey, that's a good one to have. You can tell your grandkids. True, and we <laughs> played against Zion Williamson in that game too, which was pretty cool. Oh boy, did he dunk on you? Not on me personally. On one of my teammates. I won't <laughs> mention their name. It's all right. He dunked on everyone. That's true. <laughs> So you're all state honorable mention, all county, and most impressively, you're the school valedictorian at Bosco. Really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I had a nice high school career and all kind of, you know, it's like at the end of the year, I, I might have been valedictorian. I might have been fourth place. We might have won the state. We might have not. Those things kind of happen or they don't. I just kind of put myself in a good situation and a lot of stuff worked out. So it was an awesome high school experience. Absolutely. How was your valedictorian speech? Um, I, I think it was good. I got good reviews. I can't really watch it back because I cringe a little bit, but I think it was good for, you know, a high school senior where I was at at that point. Yeah, 18 years old. It's hard to give a speech. That's awesome, though. I did. I quoted Martin Luther King and Jimmy Valvano, and I think those are great guys to quote. So I think that Absolutely. at least went well. Hey, that, I haven't heard the speech, but based on that, I bet it was an awesome speech. <laughs> right. You can't go wrong from there. Definitely. So, Charlie, talk a bit about your recruiting process and what led you to choose Princeton. Um, it's really it's funny because I really didn't even think about playing basketball after high school until, like, junior year when my dad kind of offhandedly said, like, hey, you think you want to play after in college? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. I like playing basketball. I'll do it. <laughs> And um, I guess we kind of started looking at D3 schools because that's about where I projected to go. And so I did all the camps. I went to Hoop Group. I went to the, um, the Ivy League camps where a lot of the D3 coaches show up. And I was kind of getting recruited by a lot of the NESCAC schools, MIT, Swarthmore, Caltech, and some other you know, high academic D3 schools. Obviously, I was looking for academics first. Um, and then from there, I stayed in touch with a bunch of coaches and Princeton kind of came in late, maybe June, the summer before my senior year. Um, I remember getting the text from BMAC, one of our assistants here. He's like, Hey, it's coach McConnell from Princeton. Send over your scores and highlights. We'd love to take a look at you. Um, went to some of their camps, performed pretty well. And I think it was maybe October where I came for a visit. And they said they wanted me, gave me an offer, all that. Um, just the greatest feeling in the world. And I knew right then, like, this is where I wanted to go. I, I pretty much told every other coach that I was out at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to turn down Princeton and the Ivy Leagues. That's awesome, though, that you're projected to be a D3 player. And nothing wrong with that. Division three basketball is great. They have great players. But then you ultimately jumped to D1. Yeah, I guess you could call me a late bloomer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I think I just got lucky kind of being in the right place at the right time. One of my coaches had a connection. One of my high school coaches, Coach Steve-O, had a connection to BMAC. Um, you know, things just happened to work out, and I was glad I was able to seize the opportunity. And once, once you get on campus, I don't know how you say no to Princeton. Um, it's still as beautiful today as it was five years ago when I was touring, and, I, like, I love being here. Um, and that's kind of the way I felt on my visit, so I knew right away this is where I wanted to be. Yeah, I had Tia Waleji on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and she said the same thing. Mm. 
And um, and I responded with this, and I'm going to say the same thing to you. My brother and sister-in-law had their pictures, their wedding pictures done on campus. And uh, mm-hmm. it was beautiful, great pictures. But I can say with 100% certainty that no one in that bridal party could have gotten into Princeton. <laughs> Bet well, my life I mean, on it. Yeah, hey, that doesn't really matter as long as you get married and you got some beautiful pictures. We see we see so many people walking around taking bridal pictures here. It's a very common place. Cause, I mean, why not? Why yeah, yeah, no, there's some pretty architecture on campus. It was nice. Yeah. So you get to Princeton as a student in the summer of 2017. So talk about transition to college. I mean, you're you're not that far from home. You're like an hour away but how did you balance athletics and academics and then the transition from high school basketball to d1 basketball um i think i didn't handle it very well my freshman year i was just like (laughs) a little bit in over my head um both athletically and academically and i think they and that didn't manifest in any like negative ways i just like wasn't great in school i was fine i was struggling along getting average grades and on the court, I was like well behind my teammates in terms of strength and speed and skill. And so like, I just had to work extra hard on all facets to kind of catch up. Um, But I think that catching up process is something that most people have to go through, especially here where it's super rigorous, uh, like academically. And of course, athletically, we take things seriously. So I don't know. I've always been good about time management and it was just, doubling down on that, you know, making sure to take care of the work first, have a schedule, have a planner, all the, all the kind of stereotypical things you hear about time management was something that I just leaned into. And after freshman year, coming into sophomore year, I really like hit my stride and I've been, you know, smooth sailing ever since. But freshman year, it was definitely a transition. It was tough. I feel like freshman year is tough for a lot of people because you are, you know, you're, the basketball is better. And especially at an Ivy League school, the academics are a lot harder than they were in high school. So it is a lot. Yeah, I think also personally, I like in high school, I was all about studying and sports. And then you get to college and it's like you're on your own. You know, there's there's so many more free hours during the day to figure out what to do. And I was just a little lost and it was just like figuring out how to be like half of an adult uh that was probably the trickiest part yeah yeah no that is tricky even for someone that doesn't go to an ivy league school that can be that can be a transition as well exactly no totally yeah yeah and it's a tough fresh it's a tough freshman year on the basketball court as princeton goes 13 and 16 but it is going to be your only losing season there yeah, that year, you know, we started off really strong, and we even beat USC in L.A. Uh, around winter break. And I think we came back from winter break and uh, had a couple early losses and just didn't have the kind of mental discipline as a team to hold it together mm-hmm. and quickly spiraled out of control. So that team was way more talented than our record said we were. We just, um, like, you know, the discipline wasn't there. Uh, and it led to a lot of kind of ugly losses, but it was a great learning experience, especially as a freshman, kind of your year to burn, if you will. You know, we didn't have as much um, impact on the court, so we were just learning a lot, and I think we learned a lot about what not to do. Yeah, no, that that helps. But you guys, I'm trying to think, that was the year before Princeton had made the NCAA tournament, right? So you probably lost a bunch of good players. Yeah, we lost 
Uh, Spencer Weiss, Ivy League Player of the Year, multiple time first team. Stephen Cook, same same idea. And Pete Miller um, was another big time player. So I think three starters, three and a half starters, a lot of senior leadership, and I believe that was the class that was coach's first recruiting class. So the year prior, it was kind of a perfect storm for them to go to the tournament, and it was definitely like somewhat of a rebuilding year the, the following year that we walked into. Okay, all right. So you personally play in 10 games, and the head coach is Mitch Henderson. Now, he was a great player at Princeton himself. How did you like playing for him? I love playing for Coach Henderson. Um, great player is almost an understatement. He, you know, he was the leader of the best team here, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's discounting Bill Bradley's Final Four team. So it's maybe second best team here, the team that beat uh, UCLA in the tournament and played really well. So Coach Henderson knows a ton about basketball. He knows how to win, um, and he really cares about us. He was just like the perfect coach and, you know, kind of leader to look up to in my time here. Oh, that's awesome. It's great that you liked your coach. I feel like not everyone does that. Yeah, certainly not, which is something that I've never really had to deal with. I've had great coaches my entire life, and so I, I almost don't understand when people complain about their coaches. I've been very fortunate. Oh, that's really lucky. Good for you. Yeah. Your sophomore year at Princeton, 16 and 12, and you play in eight games, and this is the year that you hit the three at Cameron Indoor, which, as you said, is a a big highlight for you. (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun year. Um, Again, a lot of talent. We just uh, came up a bit short at the end. Let's see, some highlights would be Arizona State on the road. I think they were ranked 17 in the country at the time. That was a huge win for us. Oh, yeah, it was so much fun. Um, Played at Duke. um, Had a pretty solid Ivy League record. I believe we finished third. And then in the Ivy League tournament, we were up. uh, We were winning against Yale, the favorites, with like four minutes to go when our, you know, best player, top defender fouls out. And from there, we just kind of fell apart. But it was a really competitive team that had some sort of struggles midway through the season. Uh, and we just righted the ship and we're coming home strong and it just didn't work out in the end. Mm, yeah, that's a bummer. I want to talk a bit about Ivy Madness because that's the first time you get there. How exciting is that tournament? It's so much fun. It's so cool. You know, you go out uh, for like a shoot around and the cameras are on you and you can't touch the ball until the clock starts and it's exactly noon or whatever. And it just like, for, for as small as the Ivy League is relative to the Power Five, Power Six conferences, it makes you feel like you're, you know, playing on like a big time stage, which is just like, it's so much fun. Cause that's what we're all here for is to just play like the highest level of basketball and being yeah, at a tournament atmosphere makes it like, you know, 10 times more exhilarating. Absolutely. Would you like to see it expanded to include all eight teams? Um, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> Short, um, yeah, I think it's, it's good that the regular season means a little bit and uh, probably selfishly for Princeton, it helps us that there's not all eight teams involved because any team can beat any other team on any day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would not be surprised to see an eight or seven seed win multiple times in that sort of format. So, yeah, I think it would have it would have been good for us over the four years not have expanded. So I'll keep with that moving forward. 
Okay, okay, in Princeton's best best interest. But, exactly. you know, the Ivy League for years, they were the only league that didn't have a tournament. And then they, like, kind of went half in. They were like, okay, we'll give you a tournament, but it's only the top four seeds. But you're right, it does make the the season mean a lot more that regular season you have to be one of the top four to get in yeah i think a lot of the old guards the older guys who remember the ivy league for not having the tournament will say that they don't want the tournament at all um and their argument is like let's make the regular season count for as much as possible i do you know i think the the uh, the, reg- the conference tournaments are kind of fun and it's just like an added wrinkle, although it did actually work against us this year, as I'm sure that's we'll get true. to. Um, but, you know, I think that's just like, it's part of college basketball, and I think they're fun to be a part of. Like I said, Ivy Madness was a good time. So I don't have a problem with it. And who is Princeton's biggest rival in the Ivy League? Is it Yale because they've been the best team for a bit now? If you ask anyone at Princeton from, you know, probably like 2000 or earlier, it's Penn. It's 100% Penn. Princeton and Penn have been the, the like, have won 90% of the titles from the 50s to 2000 or something crazy like that. Oh. Um, playing under Coach Henderson, who played here when Penn was the biggest rival, that's kind of ingrained in us as well. Um, probably from an outsider's perspective, it's like, yeah, Yale or Harvard is our biggest competition now, but Penn will always be the main rival and and that's the team that we focus even like just like the we dial in just a little bit more for Penn. Mm-hmm. now that's the same way on the girls side is that just a universal thing for all sports the biggest rival is Penn for Princeton I don't know about all sports um it but a lot of sports and it might just be because they're um geographically the closest to us that that True. can play a role how'd you like playing in the palestra uh, it was awesome. It's a really incredible arena to play in. And my dad actually went to Penn. Um, so he told me so many stories about the Palestra, and he would go and watch basketball when he was a student there. So I've just grown up hearing so much about it. It was awesome to play there. Wow, so he went to Penn and he let you go to Princeton. I know. Imagine that. He says he, refu- he refuses to wear any Princeton gear unless it specifically says basketball. But he still, he doesn't like Princeton. He just likes the basketball program and, you know, his son who's on the team. Otherwise, he's anti-Princeton. He's a Penn guy. (laughs) So let me ask you this. The games where you guys played Penn, would he at least wear that Princeton basketball attire? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He put it on begrudgingly, but he did it. (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) <laughs> now, junior year in 2020, Princeton, you guys are 14 and 13. So, you know, everything changes in March, right? The pandemic hits. But your season, you guys didn't make Ivy Madness that year. So your season was essentially over. So it didn't impact you basketball-wise. Um, I think we would have been in Ivy Madness my junior year. Yeah, 2020. Oh, you guys would have been a top four. Uh, yeah, I believe we were going to be the three seed. Um, oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, no worries. We would have been the three seed, and we always say, might be wishful thinking, but like we think we could have been favored, and we really think we could have won that thing. We were peaking at the right time. Um, we had like you know a lot like really great senior leadership, uh, and we had played Yale super competitively that year, like the most recent game, and we felt like we, we lost, but we felt like we could get them. Um, so we were feeling pretty good about that year, and we were upset that it was canceled. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, then that's such a bummer. Because you're right. If you're peaking at the right time, that's when you want to be playing tournament basketball. You want to be the best in March. Exactly. Coach always says, like, you know, we want to be good now, but our goal is to peak in March when it matters most. And I think that team was doing that. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer then. So, Charlie, let me ask you this. In 2020, you play in 11 games, and you even said it in the opening. In your career, you were a role player, which is not a negative thing at all. Every team needs several of those. But in the age of the transfer portal and NIL and all that, I'm just curious if you ever considered transferring. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I literally never once considered it. It never That's even crossed awesome. my mind. Um, I just... I love Princeton as an institution too much to leave it. And I love being a part of the Princeton basketball program too much to leave it. Um, I guess like I have always missed playing in the most competitive of moments in games. But I think over the years, you know, practice kind of became my competition. And I don't know, I was playing against, you know, the best guards in the Ivy League and Jalen and Ethan and, Jose and Devin over the years so I found ways to just enjoy what I was you know what what I did get out of it the moments I did get to play which are mostly in practice and then just being a part of the program was worth way more than you know getting 15-20 minutes at some other school. That's awesome to hear you're a big team guy and you're right if you like the school there's really no reason to transfer you're you know you're gonna get a degree from an Ivy League school. Yeah, I think that's, like, you end up seeing that with a lot of um, athletes, at, especially at Princeton, maybe across the Ivy League, where if they're not getting enough out of their sport, rather than transferring to play somewhere else, they'll just leave the team, but they stay at the institution because it's such an incredible opportunity and such an incredible place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's no big deal because there's no scholarships anyway, so it's not like you're giving up one. Exactly. That's a great point. Um, and Princeton has great financial aid and stuff. So it, it ends up, yeah, it ends up not mattering financially. Okay. I love that. Like I said, in the age of the transfer portal, I mean, you see kids that played a lot at schools, but want a better opportunity, a better opportunity. And then you throw the NIL in and it's just craziness. But I love to hear <laughs> that. That's awesome that you had a great four year experience. Technically five. We'll get into that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like super fortunate that this was where I ended up because as a high schooler, you just really don't know. You can think you know how a place is going to be and then you get there and you really don't know. And I got really fortunate that Princeton was everything I was hoping for. Uh, so great. never, never even considered leaving. Yeah. I mean, you're right, right? You, when you're re- recruited, you're on these visits, the coaches are going to be very nice to you. They're going to hype up the program, hype up the school. But yeah, sometimes you get there and it's not exactly what you thought, but that's amazing that you got everything you wanted out of it. Absolutely. Sounds like you don't want to graduate in two weeks. I don't blame you. Yeah, I, I would try and not graduate, but my parents would kill me if it took me another year. So I do have to graduate <laughs> now. Oh man, that's awesome. So what would be your senior year in 2021? We talked about it. The Ivy League cancels all sports. And you choose to take the year off to retain Ivy eligibility because for anyone that doesn't know, you only get four years in the Ivy. So if you tear your ACL your freshman year in redshirt, you have to take your fifth year elsewhere. 
Um, which is, it's funny, like not many people know that. And then they see Ivy League kids in the transfer portal and they're like, why are they transferring? It's like, well, they have to if they want to continue to play. Yeah, you see people like, oh, they're throwing away the education? And it's like, no, they already graduated. They're just trying to do a grad year. Yeah, and honestly, probably most of them would like to stay with their team, but they just can't. It's against the rules. Yeah, exactly. Although I, I do think it's a cool opportunity. Like, I'm seeing my teammates who are now going, Jalen Llewellyn's going to Michigan, Ethan Wright to Colorado, Drew Freiberg to Belmont. It's going to be really great to see them get the opportunity to play on like a huge stage, especially Michigan, Big Ten, Colorado, Pac-12. So in a way, like I know they'd love to play their last year here, but in a way, I'm really happy for them that they get to like both graduate from the Ivy League and, you know, they got to do this and they also get to get a taste of like a Power 5 conference, which is pretty cool. That is true. Yeah, you're right. And I think Jalen's going to do great at Michigan. Yeah, he'll he'll be great. They're going to be a top 10 team to start the year, I think. They're going to oh, be awesome. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And they're mm-hmm. always good in the tournament. Like, no matter if they're a bubble team, whatever, if they're in, they're like pencil them in for the second weekend, at least recently. Right, right. They've had so much success in the last decade. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. And then on the girls' side, I think, I think Abby Myers is going to do really good at Maryland. Oh, absolutely. Abby's always been a stud. She just battled injuries early, and then she had to take a gap year, and then there was COVID. So it's just like everything was building up for this to be her year. I'm so glad she really broke out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Carly Littlefield, who, you know, did her eligibility at Princeton, went to UNC, had a great year. That They had a great year as a team getting to the Sweet 16. Um, and I know she wanted to play a, a fifth, sixth year, whatever, but with the Ivy League ruling, she can't, which is a bummer. I enjoyed watching them. Yeah, Carly was always fun to watch. She, she was my next-door neighbor freshman year, so I've known her for a while now, obviously. and I, I, She's going to do great in Europe, but yeah, it was too bad that she couldn't get one more year at UNC. Okay, so the cancellation. So now you kind of had to take a gamble in 2021, right? Because when was the announcement made that there would be no sports and when did you have to be in school correct i took a bit of a gamble they announced there would be no no basketball season in maybe november december if i remember correctly or that seems late but but uh sometime after the deadline to decide which was in august um but i think we all sort of you know had a feeling that was the direction the ivy league would go so it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like as much of a gamble as it might seem from the outside Okay, okay, yeah, you kind of had some inside knowledge there. So instead of, you know, just sitting around, hanging out for a year, you do something really cool. I mentioned it in the open. You cycle across America from coast to coast. So can you share how these plans came to be with Maddie Plank? Because it's funny, I did some research before the podcast, and before I researched, I just assumed that you guys were great friends before doing this. And it turns out that you didn't even really know each other, and you guys just went on the cycling trip. So I'll give you the floor. T- tell me about this. Yeah, that's something that a lot of people are really intrigued by, is you're right. Maddie and I had maybe talked once or twice in person at some basketball event. Hi, how are you? But that summer, she had worked a really cool internship with a basketball alum, and I wanted to ask her about it. So I reached out, and I called her. And this was probably July, right around when we were deciding to take a gap year, and we had both decided to. And I was like, oh, yeah, what do you think you'll do on your gap year? And we were floating ideas. And then I said, I don't know about you, but 
a mentor of mine recently suggested biking across the country, and I just think that sounds like such a cool idea. And Maddie was like, oh, my God, yes. You know, it turns out later that she had had that on her bucket list for three years. She wrote it in 2018. She had written Bike Across the Country on her bucket list, which is so like Maddie. She's like, you know, a huge dreamer, and she actually executes things. So I had no idea I was, like, getting involved with such an incredible partner, but she was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, you know, we started putting the plans together August, September of 2020, of 2020. And the whole time I'm thinking it's kind of a joke, not a joke, but it's something fun to talk about. It's not actually going to happen. Um, all this time we're researching routes and like researching gear that we'll need, um, figuring out, you know, what, what we'll need, where we'll go, all that. Um, and the planning lasted from August through really like March or April when we started uh, in April of 2021. Wow. Okay. So you thought this wasn't going to happen and then ultimately it does happen. And that's funny that you contacted her about an internship that I'm assuming you didn't even do because of the, the cycling plans. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I didn't really think I wanted to do the internship. I just wanted to hear about it. Um, and then to say that I didn't think it would happen maybe isn't totally true. I just like, you know, people like to talk about fun trips and plans, and a lot of times it just doesn't happen. Especially oh, I do that all the time. Right, yeah, we've all done it, and especially when it's something as crazy as biking across the country when neither Maddie nor I biked at all, um, which is incredible like we, we so, biked around campus that's it yeah that's the thing i have this is a question i have and i apologize for interrupting but how do you go no. from not really ever cycling to wanting to do it across the country that seems crazy to me i, I think like it just the craziness was what was appealing because it seemed like a real challenge and, Definitely. and a challenge that you can measure like you know you you need to make it from one side to the other and I think that was what was really cool to me. It almost would seem like less of a challenge if you were a big time cyclist, because like part of the intrigue and the enjoyment for us was like figuring out what gear we needed and what it took and learning along the way. Like that was huge for us. Um, and so like the first two weeks, for example, like Maddie's pinky was going numb and our butts were super sore and we were really tired. And I think that just like added to the challenge and the difficulty, which made it just pay off even sweeter when we finally made it. Wow. Yeah, I imagine that the butts, like, never did not hurt, right? Because every time I'm on the Peloton, it hurts. It doesn't matter how many times I've been on, which is not that many, I'll yeah. be honest. <laughs> no, it, they al it always hurts. It's just some days it hurts less than others. And, but when it really hurts, it's, like, almost impossible to ride, and we had to just, like, stop some days. Did you guys train beforehand? We thought we were training. We'd go on kind of casual 30-mile, flat, beautiful, sunny day ride. And then we realized that, like, you know, almost every day there's either wind or rain or cold or hills. And so our training was pretty irrelevant, to be honest. <laughs> now, here's a question. Did you guys have to learn... I don't know if this is a correct term, but bike mechanics, right? Like, what if your chains broke or you guys got flat tires or anything happened? Like, I assume you kind of had a working knowledge going into it? Yeah, we learned the basics. Um, we learned how to change a tire. We learned, you know, how to move the seat and adjust the wheels and pump up the wheels and what that all looks like. 
But if a chain or a spoke broke, we were pretty much screwed. And that did actually happen. One of my spokes popped at one point, so we just had to kind of hail a ride. And luckily, we were like two miles out from a town, and we brought it into a bike shop. But we knew the basics such that when we did get flat tires on the side of the road, we could patch it up real quick or replace the tube and at least get somewhere where we could fix it for real if it wasn't good enough. Okay. So now you said you start in April. So tell me the starting point and then how long it took you to get to the finish point. Sure. So we started April 10th on the Jersey Shore. Um, I'm forgetting the town. Somewhere just east of Princeton. Uh, And then we finished 68 days later, June 16th, in, uh, I want to say, Rialto Beach, Washington, which is west of Seattle, out on the Olympic Peninsula. Wow, so you really did go coast to coast. That kind of seems quick to me, April to June. It was 68 days. I think it's a pretty average length of time. We took our time. We meandered a little bit, tried to hit certain spots. Um, But... It was, it was a good amount of time. It was just the right amount of time that we got to, like, enjoy the ride and see everything, but we weren't burnt out at the end, such that we just needed to get it over with. Gotcha. Okay. That's good. Now, how much did you pack? Like, what was on you? I assume just whatever was on, the, on your backpack is what you had? No. So you, you don't wear a backpack when you're doing a long bike tour. There are these things called panniers. They're basically bags that attach to, like, a rear rack on the bike. We had two paneers on our back, on the back. We had a tent and a sleeping bag strapped in. Um, and then we had other various bags that you can kind of get creative and place around the bike frame. Um, so we would carry basically like we had one outfit that we wore. We had one set of bike clothes that were, uh, you know, on the side in our bags. And then we had maybe two or three pairs of dry clothes, various like, you know, sweaters or uh, uh, different types of pants and stuff. Um, And then we carried a lot of food, like trail mix and bars were big for us. Uh, We had various bike tools. Um, Maddie had a camping like stove uh, where we were able to cook some meals, a lot of kind of random stuff. And we got creative. Like we would in the, in the West when there were towns fewer and far between, we would carry a gallon of water that we just, strapped on the back using some old clips that we had. Um, so th- the rig, is, it's kind of cool the way you put together a bike rig and the way it evolves over the course of the trip. And it doesn't weigh you down? Oh, it certainly weighs you down, yeah. <laughs> I think we were at probably 75 or 85 pounds total, uh, the bike being around 40 of it. So it, it's a lot wow. of extra weight. And when, like, when I was carrying the extra gallon of water, it was noticeable how hard it was to accelerate yeah yeah no that would do it so okay you said you packed a tent so you guys just camped out or did you ever get a hotel room airbnb stop at people's houses that you knew yeah we camped so we were on the road for 68 days we camped maybe 10 of them we stayed in a hotel or motel for maybe 10 of them and then the rest it was either people we knew or more commonly just strangers um, we would either use this app called Warm Showers, which is for cyclists on tour, and it was a simple, oh, it was awesome. You could just, the day before, say, like, send them a message, hey, we're going to be in town tomorrow. Do you think we could stay with you? You know, 90% of the time, the answer is yes. Um, and these strangers were so kind, like, open their homes, place to sleep, usually a, a meal, dinner, and breakfast, 
a um, lot of great conversations. Like these are cyclists themselves. So we would swap bike stories. They would point us in, on the right route moving forward. It was so much fun. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know that app existed. That's brilliant. For anyone on tour, I feel like it's a must. It's like that ended up being the most surprisingly incredible part of the trip was the people we met and the kind of help we got away along the way. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet you met some cool people, heard some cool stories. Where, like, where did you guys stop? Did you guys see any really cool places? I think the coolest places to just kind of like, you know, an average listener, like we decided to pass through Pittsburgh, Chicago, um, and then the Black Hills in South Dakota, which were beautiful. Uh, Yellowstone for a little bit, beautiful. And then we headed out to Seattle. Um, but honestly, like each stop was pretty unique in its own right to like, you know, there was just like a random Nebraskan town population of a hundred where we slept in a park right next to the dance hall where they were hosting a high school graduation. And this town, like super small, like literally nowhere to buy food in the entire town as far as we could tell. But it was just such a memorable stop uh, just because of like how unique it was and how they invited us into their graduation. And we got to eat and talk to some of the ranchers and all that. That's incredible. Wow. Now, okay, tell me about your relationship with Maddie, right? Because you didn't know each other. You decided to do this 68-day trip together. I imagine you guys got pretty close. Imagine if it didn't work out that way and it was just, like, awkward and you guys hated each other. Oh, my gosh. That was definitely a thought going in. And a lot of my <laughs> friends and family were like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you hit her? Um, <laughs> luckily, like, I felt like from our coordination you know, the whole winter leading up to it, I felt like I trusted her to at least be semi-cool. Mm-hmm. Um, now now we're absolutely best friends. Like, she's one of the most important people in my life. She's awesome. That's amazing. I think the fact that we didn't know each other super well going in helped because the whole first month, month and a half, we're kind of feeling each other out. You know, do you want to stop tonight? Uh, I don't know. Do you? Like, we're really nice and considerate of each other in a way that if I went with, say, like, my brother, we might have gotten in more arguments. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. So it might, have, it might have actually been good for us. But, no, it was, like, we just shared so many, like, fun times. There's so many stories that only the other one knows. And, like, we're pretty, like, well, we, like, we would be friends regardless because we're just, like, similar people. But, yeah, she's one of my closest friends now. That's amazing. Like, not only do you get to experience this cool thing right seeing the country and biking but you met a great friend someone that'll probably be in your life forever now yeah absolutely well yeah right one of the the side effects if you will of the trip that i had no idea would happen but it's certainly true and you guys raised money for national alliance on mental health Uh, mental health is so prevalent right now in college athletics for really unfortunate reasons why did you guys choose that foundation? Yeah, I mean, it's devastating seeing some of the recent stuff that's um, happened with athletes' mental health. Um, I feel like over COVID, you just heard a lot about how much college kids were struggling. Um, I saw it with my own friends and family, and Maddie herself had had her own struggles. So it was just like something that when we realized we wanted to do this ride for a cause, it was like an immediate first answer for both of us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we raised, we raised so $22,000, which is awesome. I really believe in Nami. Wow. I just wish, like, I, if we had figured out a way to do more, because it's like just so much more needs to be done because college is such a stressful time, especially for athletes when they feel like there's a lot of pressure on them uh, to perform. I mean, even like now with NIL, kids are going to be getting paid a ton of money. They'll probably be getting even more death threat and angry DMs after games. There's just a lot of pressure on college kids who are just so young and they haven't dealt with it before. Um, And it's something I worry about a lot. Yeah, it's insane the pressure that college athletes are under, right? Because unfortunately there is Twitter and Instagram. And if a player makes a bad play to end a game some random person can just, you know, type out a death threat, which I don't understand because if you're a fan of a team, like you ride with them no matter what. Like, I don't understand how people do that. I also don't get it because like, you're upset that this happened, right? But can you imagine how the player that made that mistake feels? Like, just think about that before you send a tweet. It's ridiculous. I know, know. it it really doesn't make sense. I don't think there's any kind of realistic reasoning these people have I think a lot of it, especially with sports gambling rising, is like people lose money because, you know, who knows why they're betting on some random Ivy League game that they know nothing about. But uh, my teammates have shown me the DMs they get after games when they mess up. And it's people like just, oh my gosh, it's so horrible. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there's a lot of pressure to be really good. There's the pressure in the classroom. And unfortunately... Over the past couple of years, we've seen more suicides. A couple of weeks ago, a softball player at JMU uh, unfortunately killed herself, and the team actually just announced that they're not going to play the rest of the season, and you can't really blame them. They're, you know, grief is, is hard, and some teams have played through it, but doesn't mean that every team should. Yeah, like I said, it's really devastating. Uh, it just sucks. It's horrible. Yeah, but you and Maddie raised that $22,000. That's amazing. And I know you said you wish you could have raised more, but there's always going to be that, right? You always wish you could do more, but you did a really great thing, and it is going to help people, and you should be so proud of yourself. Yeah, I really am proud of what we did. I also like that along the way, so we didn't know much about NAMI. We just done some research and thought it was a worthwhile thing to put our money towards. And then along the way, we bumped into a lot of people who, when we told them our story, they were like, oh, yeah, like I've been to the local chapter uh, therapy session or whatever it is. And so to hear that kind of uh, like positive feedback was like, all right, yeah, this is like actually a really great thing we're doing, uh, which was super cool. Definitely. You did a great thing for a great cause and you had a great experience. Will you do it again? I would love to do another bike tour. Um, there are just so many places to bike. I, like, I wouldn't do the same route, obviously, mm-hmm. I think. But I would love to bike in Europe. They have great infrastructure for bikers. It would be a lot of fun. Um, and I, I would totally do, like, some smaller tours. Um, but I think what I really loved about it was I felt like we accomplished a feat. We overcame a challenge. Um, and if I were to do another tour, I'd want it to be challenging in some way that isn't just like it's hard to bike long distances Mm -hmm. oh i imagine is maddie down for another one oh yeah she's even more down than me she's i believe in yeah in two days she's gonna bike home from princeton to briarcliff it's like a 90 mile ride she loves no way yeah wow good for her 
<laughs> yeah, she loves it. So I'm sure we'll get out there eventually. We've got a long life. We'll do another one at some point. Yeah, yeah. You got to wait a while because she's got a bunch of eligibility left, right? With the gap year and I think her, her freshman year she was injured. So Yeah, she has three more years left. So yeah, she'll she'll be a star in basketball and then post-grad as adults, we'll do another one. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see what she's going to do at Davidson. I think she's going to have a great career there. Yeah, she's going to be great. So you come back to Princeton now. It's 2022. Now it's your senior year. Really phenomenal basketball year. You guys go 23-7, and and you win the Ivy League regular season. Oh, that had to be such a fun season to be a part of. So much fun. Um, Just, like, such an incredible team to be a part of. You know, just, like, the closest team I've been a part of, the most selfless. Um, We had some really awesome victories. Like, we beat South Carolina to open the season down in Asheville. Uh, we beat Oregon State at Oregon State. We beat Cornell on a buzzer beater. Uh, it was just like some awesome games to be a part of, and it was just so much fun. Yeah, Princeton always plays a competitive non-conference schedule. Yeah, I think Coach Henderson likes to challenge us. Uh, he knows how much fun it is for us. You know, it's great to, like, you go to Oregon State and you see this incredible arena they have at the beautiful practice gym and it's like nice to see that because it feels like you're stepping into like like another level and then it's even sweeter to actually beat them and show that like yeah even though we go to an Ivy League school we're just as good as them absolutely that's awesome so you guys get to Ivy Madness you beat Cornell in the semis unfortunately though you fall to Yale by two points in the Ivy League championship how brutal was that oh very very brutal uh, the locker room after the game was one of the saddest places I've ever been. I Just can't like, imagine. Yeah, you know, we poured everything into the whole season. Everything comes down to one game. Everything comes down to one minute, one possession. And it just didn't go our way. Um, and the kind of finality of it was, like, really, really sad because the whole year we had done everything to get to the March Madness. And I think no matter what happens, even after losses, uh, you always think, like, th- that doesn't really matter because we're going to get to March Madness later. Mm-hmm. And so to actually confront the, the end result and the fact that we didn't make it when we really expected to, we knew we were good enough to, it was crushing. Yeah, and one of the negative aspects of playing at a smaller conference school, a mid-major, is that really there's only one team that gets a bid in a lot of situations so you have a great season the way you did I mean 23 and 7 if it was a big 10 school you guys would be in right it's just the way it is which is unfortunate exactly and I think like so the days after were brutal and we had to quickly turn around and go play VCU in the NIT which was a really awesome experience it was just a little bit too tight of a turnaround for us to kind of get over mentally I think that was really tough Yeah, but I think in the weeks after we've been able to kind of recontextualize the year and see like we were probably the greatest offensive team Princeton's ever had amongst many great offensive teams. And like, it was such an incredible year, such a successful year. Uh, We've come to realize that as even though we didn't kind of get exactly what we wanted, it was still very successful and success isn't binary as much as it is a spectrum. And 
we realized that we had a great year. It was just really tough in the moment to kind of understand that it wasn't like a binary in terms of success, um, but, but rather more of a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to step away to realize, you know, what you did. It, it does, you know, you need, you need some time to breathe after a game like that. But you guys were regular season champions. You know, you do have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the league is super competitive, you know. I mean, Cornell had like a mediocre year in the league, and they took us right down to the wire in the semis. And it's always a battle with Yale. It's always a battle with Penn and Harvard, whatever. It's, it's just a fun league to be a part of. Yeah, and it's good basketball. You know, a lot of people might think they're just a bunch of smart nerds, but they can play basketball. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Love it. So, Charlie, what's next for you? Um, I will be going to Boston to work in consulting. My job starts in a month and a half, so quick turnaround. Oh, good for you. Yeah, super excited. I, I don't know much about Boston, but I'm excited to explore. Oh, it's a fun city. You'll have fun. Can't wait. So are you going to now be a Boston sports fan? I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go to some Celtics and Red Sox games and stuff, but I don't know. I, I'm, it's funny. I'm not even like a huge Yankees fan or a huge Nets fan. I root for them. Uh, but something within me is just kind of like turned away by the idea of Boston sports. But you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll relent and I'll change my mind in my years there. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right, so very exciting. You have a job. Wow. Getting into the real world. I know. I know. Is it exciting? I don't know. Who knows? It's, it's not exciting. I can tell you it's not exciting. Like when you get the, the paychecks are exciting, yeah. but everything else about it is not exciting. Oh, man. I, but, but I have spent a lot of time in college, so I do feel like ready to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be so different. You know, what, you know what, though? I'm not fully leaving college because my lease doesn't start until September, but I have to work in the summer. So I will be living in an MIT frat house for the summer. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Can't escape college too fast. Okay. All right, yeah. Transition. You're, okay. I like that. Get a few more frat parties in you before you really become an adult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One more question, Charlie. Are you bringing a bike to Boston? Um, I am bringing a bike, but I would like to upgrade my bike and get a nicer one. But yes, I will be riding the streets of Boston. Okay. Now, could you ever see yourself with a Peloton? Hmm. I don't think so. I'm not much of a in-home workout kind of guy. I'd rather Stationary, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather lift or get out and run or bike in the streets. Uh, that may change as I become busier and I become an adult. Okay. Well, I think you and Maddie should try to do a collaboration with Peloton. You know, they have some scenic routes where someone is actually Ooh. riding a bike through, like, Santa Monica or Big Sur. Uh, I think you guys should should get to do one. Yeah, we should redo our trip and have that be one of the rides. Oh, my God. I don't know how many people would be into that for 68 days, but that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be quite the program. You just yeah, do, like, a we, leg every day. Right, right. Well, we did take a couple rest days, so they'd be allowed to have a few rest days. Okay, yeah, I imagine you'd have to take some. That's, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Charlie, I have loved our conversation. I like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. How does that sound? It sounds great. Let's hear it. 
All right. In your free time, what TV show are you currently binge watching? Uh, Better Call Saul. Okay. Are you new to that? Because that's been that's been out a while, right? It has been out a while. You're right. I'm super new. I, I'm on the first season. I just stumbled across it on Netflix, and I tried it, and I'm really into it. Okay. Now, were you a Breaking Bad guy? Uh, not not particularly. And I know I sound like I'm like this is like a hot take. Like I stumbled across some random show. I know it's very popular, but <laughs> having not loved Breaking Bad like everyone else, I never really gave it a chance. But I may have to go give Breaking Bad a second chance. Okay. Yeah, I, I always kind of assumed that you had to know what happened in Breaking Bad to watch Better Call Saul, but I might be wrong. I never saw the, the Saul show. I don't feel like you really need to know Breaking Bad. I think some stuff is kind of bubbling under the surface that I might be missing because I watched Breaking Bad a while ago, but it's mm, a great standalone yeah, show. Okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Do you have a hidden talent? Um... Let me see. Let me rack my brain real quick. Uh, I feel like you do uh, improv, right? That's not I, hidden. I researched you. <laughs> I guess by definition, not hidden. I do improv. I don't think that means that my hidden talent is being funny by any means. Maybe my talent is being willing to embarrass myself, if that can be considered a talent. Uh, <laughs> improv is a lot of fun, though. It really, like, you learn how to kind of be put on the spot, how to work with a partner, uh, really good for communication. For everyone listening, if you want to be a better communicator, do improv. That's good to know. Now, will you continue improv in Boston? Um, I've been asked this so much. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that is like really hard to start doing, at least in my opinion, because it's so scary because you know you're going to make a fool of yourself. But <laughs> afterwards, you realize you just had like, the time of your life. Kind of like getting on a roller coaster for me. Like I'm always so scared to do it, but then afterwards, it was a blast. So I think I'll probably do it. I just need someone to give me a little push. Okay. All right. That's exciting. Last question, Charlie. If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Um, dang. Um, yeah, it's tough to only choose one person. I, I feel like over the years I've thought of like hundreds that I would. All right. Right now, you, you know what? I'm feeling, I'm feeling philosophical. So... Give me a philosopher like like Aristotle or Plato, just just to pick their brains, see what they're like. Okay, that's a good one. Interesting. Or alternative, um, Jesus, just to see what he's all about. <laughs> that's true. That would be a good one as well. I like those answers. Do you have a person that you would eat dinner with? I mean, I'm sure I do. I'm trying to think. You know who? One is one of my mom's mom, my grandma, who I did get to know. She didn't pass away until I was in high school. But when she was younger, she did a lot of like incredible trips with her husband. They went overseas. And at the time I was a punky high school kid. I didn't really that didn't appeal to me. But like now that, you know, I have my own money and I think traveling is really cool. Like I would love to just pick her brain on, on where she went and what she did, the culture she saw. So I think that would be my answer. Uh, that's so much sweeter and more down-to-earth than my answers. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm just better than you. What can I say? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right, Charlie, thank my, you. I changed my answer to Sorry. your grandmother as well. Oh, you want to? Okay, that works. I mean, she would probably also want to know all about your biking trip and the things that you saw and experienced, so... That could be quite a long dinner. 
Perfect. Sounds great, Esther. <laughs> That's awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, especially with all the excitement going on with Princeton. You know, you're graduating soon. Really appreciate it. Such a great career, you know, on the basketball court, in the classroom, and being able to cycle across the country. Just memories you'll have forever. So awesome. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about it with you, Bridget. It's a lot of fun. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Charlie Baggin. I hope you enjoyed it. What an impressive guy. Biking coast to coast across the country. I can't imagine. Good for him and Maddie Plank. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.